Hey, what's up? Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk for another week here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host. It's Canucks insider Thomas Grantz, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Drance, what's going on, man? How was your weekend? Really good. Fun game on Saturday. Saw my family. It was my dad's oh. 70th birthday, by oh, the way. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Good for him. Happy birthday to my dad. And uh, yeah, and then football. It was great. And then football. Pretty Just, good weekend. And, and now we're on a break. Yes. You know, yes. which, which, as Ross Geller assures me, means I can do whatever I want. <laughs> Anything goes this week. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's bye week here on Canucks Talk, of course, for the Canucks as well as they go into the All-Star break. <laughs> we should do a break takes section. Where we just like just like nonsense? No, just like empty the tank on the things you think but are afraid to say, and then <laughs> and then we'll recycle then when, when people throw them in your face. We, like, we were on a break. Break takes. What do you think? I like it. Yeah, break like takes it. on Thursday. That's interesting. Let's yeah, go. We can do that. Um, yeah, Thursday, Friday, whenever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why well, you said Thursday. I don't know because Fridays. Uh, we're gonna draft stuff on Friday, and like I yeah, don't know. Sure, Friday's right. fun. Uh, anyways, we will uh, Thursdays work. We'll uh, we'll think of some. <laughs> we'll think of some things to keep ourselves busy. I do think we should do the trade ideas show on Wednesday. Okay, well maybe not Wednesday because we have the crossover. Just but we'll call figure it, it out. I'll, I'll I I agree to do it. Uh, oh yeah, no, I think we should do it on Wednesday, and just like the crossover can be part of it. Okay. We'll challenge. I'll, I'll call Dolly tonight. We'll challenge them all right, all right. to come up with their own trade ideas. I like it. Yeah, and then we'll fold them in. So let's do it Wednesday, but call the show by its name. No, I'm not going to do that. Come on. I'm going to call it the Trade Take Show. What? You, you can do your thing. I don't care. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to get on board with that. Okay. The show will be called <laughs> Dom Lena. Make sure to call it this in the app. All your trade ideas suck, and all here's right. why. Very good. Um, okay. It is uh, it is Canucks talk here, so uh, let's do it. Let's start with the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? Your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today, January 29th, starting with the headlines. The Canucks go into their bye week and the All-Star break on a high note with a 5-4 comeback overtime win over the Columbus Blue Jackets, trailing 4-1 going into the third period. They claw back and they get the win in overtime. Elias Pettersson, two goals, including the overtime winner. And Brock Besser breaks a little mini slump with a hat trick to reach 30 goals on the season, hits that 30-goal plateau for the first time. And beyond any of the hockey takeaways, Drance, this just felt to me like the pitch perfect way for this team to go into the All-Star break. Because when I think about the first 49 games of the Canucks season, there's obviously a ton of positives. A lot of really impressive hockey has been played. Incredible individual performances. But one of the things that stands out most to me is just the incredibly high entertainment value of their home games in particular. And how many memorable special nights there have been. 
at Rogers Arena because of this team. Starting with the home opener, right, against the Edmonton Oilers. 8-1, that's a laugher. There was the other Edmonton game that was hilarious as well where they run up the score. You know, the Islanders game, the Leafs game recently, and that was another one. Down 4-1, you come back, you score the goals, and you send your fans home on an absolute high. The arena was buzzing. And it's just, it's been that kind of year for the Canucks, and I thought that was a very, very fitting way to wrap up this segment of the season. Yeah, and credit to the club, right? Because you're sitting there down 4-1, going into the third period. You're 20 minutes away from the break, 10 days off, basically, like eight days off between your next practice and and that game. And, you know, if you'd gone through the motions in that last 20 minutes, I mean, we probably would have talked about it, but I don't think we would have been, like, disdainful of it. You know what I mean? I think we all would have understood. Um, This team came out pretty hungry. You know, drew three penalties in the in the first five minutes. Don't see that too often. No, killed a major penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and honestly, I thought they were pretty close to full value for the four one deficit. To be totally honest with you, like I thought they played really poorly defensively. Um, and I know they had the balance of shots, but you could see the Columbus rush game stressing out Vancouver's defense. And like other than that Bluger chance down low. I didn't really think the Canucks had generated all that much, despite you know what it looked like if you looked at the underlying metrics or the or the shot counter. Like I thought they put in forty pretty dreadful minutes, frankly. Mm-hmm. And so to turn it around in that fashion, the 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 Besser hat trick part of it, the reaction from Pedersen Hughes and Besser on the ice when Pedersen scored the game winner, the the intelligent move from Pedersen going around the net to to get freed up, um, and then of course Merzlikens was interfered with by. Um, who was the Blue Jacket that crashed the Provorov? Provorov interfered with Merzlikens on that goal, which was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it's a way better feeling to go into eight days off with that. Yes. You know? Yeah, it would have been – I don't think it would have been – it wouldn't have sparked, like, a crisis of confidence or no. anything because this team has done so well, but it would have been a sour note. Uh, it would have been the first time – And I was definitely thinking when they were down 4-1, I was thinking of the quote you highlighted from Rick Tockett last week, right, where he was like, yeah, coaches need a break from their team sometimes, too. And that was looming large in my mind. I was like, oh, boy, Tockett's probably looking forward to this break in a big way. And then the team does that, right? And I think it's just, as I said, pitch perfect and also leaves you with just such a better feeling going into this extended time before a game. I think think this is a good thing to remember, too. It's like, put in a poor performance against a really, really good team, like, that happens to everybody over the course of a season. Mm. Like, every team is going to have games like that. Except, not this Canucks team. <laughs> Even when it looks like they're going to. Even when it looks like they're, they're going to, like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no chance. But you know, yeah, like generate a, a ton of possession and shots in the first period and get stoned, you know, and then mm-hmm. and then get flattened in the second, and like that happens to teams. That happens to teams. It doesn't happen to the Canucks. They will. They refuse. No, it absolutely will not happen to them. And the other headline here, and we got a lot to get to in the. Uh, well, can we? Sorry, can we dwell ahead. on Besser a little more? Yeah, that's because that's. Uh, I mean, again, just in, ter- in terms of the storybook kind of feel that so many of these games have. Him getting that hat trick. Yeah. In front of the home fans to reach thirty, he's talked about what thirty means to him. It's yes. such an important milestone ever since his rookie season, where he comes up just short because of injury. Again, like what else, what other narratives could possibly be completed, you know, in this Canucks season in this incredibly satisfying emotional way? Yeah. Here's another one for Brock Besser. Yeah. And so I want to just note, like, now Brock Besser's a 30 goal scorer and I'm happy for him. Mm-hmm. But Brock Besser's always been a 30 goal scorer. 
Okay, I really, I really insist on this. Like twenty nine goals in sixty two games, and then he has that freak injury by the bench in his rookie year. Twenty six goals in sixty nine games, and then the season gets, or no, that's that's another injury yep. year. Um, had a chance the the season that gets shortened due to the pandemic. Although he was yeah, likely he was, to fall short, he was well off the pace. But he yeah. was well off the pace. But the the that um, and then the, he was injured in that. The season original as well. lotto line was cooking so significantly, and yeah, he he was hurt. But I mean, he would have had thirteen more games. Yeah, he wasn't going to get there. But the next year he would have. If not for the fact that it was a lockout shortened season. 56 games. And that 2020 21 season was so dreadful for the Canucks that we forget how good he was. The mar- like the, the margin by which Besser was Vancouver's best player on a team that had like JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen, mm-hmm. although Pedersen got hurt, Bo Horvat, like he was far and away the best Canucks player that year. And because the season was so miserable through and through, we, we, we kind of like memory hold it. Yeah, when he came out and struggled the the subsequent two seasons, right? Um, I yeah, and I, this phenomenon doesn't just apply to Besser, where because of those two shortened seasons in a row, if you just go and pull up Hockey DB, like guys' rate statistics are so different than their counting than their overall totally. stats. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? But like, it's not just a Besser phenomenon, but he's one of the poster boys for it. Where because of injury and because of those weird shortened seasons. The overall numbers, the raw counting numbers, look a lot worse than if you're looking at it from a rate perspective. Where you know for his career, 363 points in 447 games for Brock Besser, right? Like that's a really, really good number. But if you're just looking at oh, he had 45 points and then 49 and then 46, it sounds really disappointing. But you have to factor in all of the games missed for partly you know injuries, which hey, availability is important, but also just reasons completely out of his control there. Yeah, 100. percent You also like. I mean, going into this season, Brock Besser was a 65-point-per-82-game player. That's ticked up to 67. You know what I mean? Like, as yep. good as he's been, when you look at Besser's career in total, like, this is a guy who's literally always been a top-of-the-lineup caliber piece. And when you really unpack sort of what was happening to his production, especially the last two years, and this is also where the rates mess with you it looks like his power play points have been flat for mm. example if you look at it but when you once you start to adjust for minutes you know what i mean like declining opportunity and last season in particular declining caliber of teammate yeah was the story besser's had opportunity this season he is converting at a career best rate like he's been more efficient i i also think over the last few years even while the production and goal scoring hasn't been there for him You've seen him graft like an additional layer of puck battle winning on the wall. Mm -hmm. And like his playmaking, especially during that 1920 season, he really took a leap as a playmaker. And I think he's improved even more since. Now, you know, over the course of this season, you've seen him at the net front, like really be a factor in terms of taking goalies' eyes, deflecting some pucks in, finding pucks like the 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 tying goal is a perfect example. You've seen him be more opportunistic in the blue paint, basically. He's he's begun to use his size a little bit differently to score, not just with like that wrist, shot, wrist shot, but also the dirty goals. Mm-hmm. And that's been sort of grafted onto his game. And it's like, we've seen elements of this come along, but I think people's frustration with the team... And, you know, I, honestly, I think just like a real struggle to evaluate the contributions of, of scoring wingers who aren't necessarily shooting 20% necessarily. Yeah. Who aren't shooting 
a high number and maybe aren't also in the right opportunities right. Or, or getting prime opportunities at least. Yeah, well, and, and, and in, in Besser's case too, we should note, like he had his worst two-way season of yep. his career last year too, which also, and I think a little more fairly, um, you know, caused the yeah, market to react. And a I don't want to say like he was, he was being unfairly denied opportunities, right? Because part of that is having his two-way game on yeah, point. So it's sure. just, it, you just have to recognize what opportunities he's getting. But I do think he was underutilized. Ever, right off the bat this season, like PP1, the, the Bo Horvat replacement, he's been killing it, mm-hmm. like absolutely crushing it. But I, I also do think the 30-goal milestone, I'm sure it means a lot to him because he's talked about it, right? I'm sure it means a lot to his teammates because you saw their reaction to it. Yeah. Besser is a 30-goal scorer, and he has been for most of his career, frankly. Now he's on pace, actually on pace for 50, which is going to be hard to do. Really hard to do, yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen, right? Like, a 40-goal season from Besser is likely at this point. I I think we'll see it, and I think that's an incredible accomplishment. If he can push for 50, that would be really something special. Mm -hmm. Like, there aren't a lot of Canucks players in history who've done it. Um, you know, you, you're, you're talking your Beret, Nasland, McGilney class, right? Um, so that's going to be like a fun side plot to watch here because, man, like a 50 goal season is not something we see. Yeah, Nasland topped out at 48. Oh, really? He now, never hit it? Yeah. Now in in so it's just Beret McGilney, different goal scoring era. Right? For, for sure, for but sure. Still, but I thought he'd hit it nope. in my head. I thought Nasland had once hit it. Okay, so really we're talking about Beret, McGilney. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Beret three times. Man, like that, when you really think about it, like 50 would be incredible. Huge, absolutely. And huge. he's put himself in a position where, you know, just his goal scoring pace to this point in the season extrapolated over the balance gets him there. But man, it ain't easy. As as the fact that like Nasland, Bertuzzi, you know, Daniel Sedin, Ryan mm-hmm. Kessler, like think about Tony Tanti. Elias Patterson, like mm-hmm. think about some of the players who've played in Vancouver and have never gotten to 50. I mean, it's really hard to do. It's unbelievable that he's on pace for it. And and you know, one of the one of the real like the main subplot here is get home ice, finish first in the west, right? Like first yep. in the west matters a ton. Home ice in the first round matters a ton. Outside chance at the President's Trophy or I guess they have the inside track, but chance at the president's trophy like stay healthy what did the canucks add at the trade deadline those are obviously the a plots here but besser chasing 50 man that would be special yeah and it, i mean there's no shortage of individual milestones to track too right quinn i hughes can't believe going, naslin never got quinn there. hughes going for 100 right like there's so many of these positive no storylines and that's a huge one as well okay the broadsheet the rumor report here on the whiteboard uh lots of different details and nuggets to to chew on here from elliot friedman today and we'll start with a clip from his hit on the Jeff Merrick show, talking kind of generally about what the Canucks might do at the deadline and also specifically if they could be looking to subtract some players uh, as they go about trying to add to the team as well. I think they're going for it. You know, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder about a couple guys, like in terms of, you know, Kuzmenko, we know they're looking around. I've wondered about Chicago yeah. in the last couple of days. Like, you know, if you look at what Chicago's doing, they're looking for guys who aren't signed beyond two years, right? Look, like Felino, two years, yep. Dickinson, two years, Mrazek, two years. 
you know, Kuzmenko's uh, one more year, and they need they need scoring. So I, I kind of wonder about that. You know, I, I wonder a bit about Zadorov too. Like, I think they're going to clear some room to open up. Um, I think they're going to clear some room to open up the ability for them to do something, whether it's Lindholm or it's Henrique or it's Gensel or someone who I haven't thought of yet. Uh, I, I Like, look, to me, the Canucks are looking at it and saying we're going for it. That's Elliot Friedman and uh, a lot in there. Of course, a list of names has become pretty familiar. Lindholm, Gensel, Henrique, or someone I haven't thought of yet. The Chicago uh, uh, potential interest in Andre Kuzmenko, which I think makes a lot of sense. But the name that's the most interesting to hear there is... Nikita Zadorov as a potential to be moved out in order to create room to make an addition of some sort. And the fascinating thing for, about that to me is, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about it. But one, to me, if you're moving out Zadorov, you almost have to be bringing a defenseman in, right? Like that's just, you have to replace it probably with a right shot defenseman, ideally, so you get that balance. But it suggests a willingness to not just do one potentially really significant move, uh, but maybe two. If you're if you're able to move Kuzmenko and Zadorov, all of a sudden you have a lot of cap space to play with, and you're looking at uh, two potential significant additions ahead of the deadline. So, hearing Friedman's hit on Merrick today really caused my ears to perk up because at the Athletic we're doing uh, Canucks mm-hmm. trade tiers where we do sort of an inventory of all Canucks players, and we'll include some assets that aren't on the NHL roster too, and how likely they are to move ahead of the deadline. Now, in the past. We used to write like 5,000 word missives, so it all would have run today, but now we have to split them up. So we just did the not moving. And in putting together the the sort of not moving, and I want to clarify, this isn't an untouchables tier, yeah. right? We're also including guys like, you know, Sam Lafferty, right? You're not moving a guy at this deadline, given where the Canucks stand in the standings, who's bringing that level of speed and depth and, and positional versatility to your roster, mm-hmm. even though like the idea of, of um, you know, a bottom six guy is like an untouchable doesn't quite square, right? So in putting together this not moving tier, we were debating on some guys who in the past, you know, the organization is, has had on the block and who have, you know, varying mitigating circumstances. Like Tyler Myers is an expiring, right? Yeah. Who... If you'd asked me eight months ago, would Tyler Myers be a Canuck beyond the deadline, I'd have said like 60-40 no. Yeah. You know? And now, it's probably like 90-10, right? Like, not only is Myers playing great hockey, not only do they need right-handed defensemen, Mm -hmm. um, but his usage has been ticking up. Like, he's really reestablished, as he does every year, right? Like, on paper, every year, the Canucks come into the season and it's like, Tyler Myers, if... (laughs) They play him third pair minutes, he'll be fine. And then you get to a point in the season where it's like, Tyler Myers is this team's third defenseman again, right? Like, that's who he is. He always is that guy because he's, you know, steady and big and holds up in um, tough minutes for the most part and on and on. So, you know, I think you get to this deadline and I don't expect Tyler Myers to move by any by any means. I think the Canucks will hang on to him. I think he's an essential part of what they're trying to do. I think the size, the physicality that he's brought especially mm-hmm. the last like 3 weeks, like this has been the most consistently physical hockey I would argue that Myers has played in a long time. Um and it's been welcome, right? There's a reason his minutes are ticking up like this. He's been great. Garland's like a key driver on this team's bottom six. Like, I think he's an indispensable piece, my personal estimation of him. And then and then Zadorov was the other guy we included there because Zadorov's good. Like yeah. Zadorov's a good player. And, you know, I think I think there, there's an identity of having all these, you know, 
tree trunks, these ants on your back end that I think Rick talking about use in the organization. That. Yeah, I yeah, think they, they love should. that. Plus, Zadorov, like, Myers has played his most physical hockey of late, but Zadorov's the guy who can do the policeman stuff. Mm. Zadorov's the most physical player on this team, period. Yeah, it, to me, and somebody, somebody texted, no chance they move out Zadorov. That's made up. You move Myers before Zadorov. Look, I wouldn't say it's a... Hot, a, a big possibility necessarily, but we know, okay, as much as they like the size on the physicality on the back end, they also love having the balanced blue line with three left shot guys and three right shot guys. Right now, you don't have that. And if you move Zadorov, you open up the possibility of doing that again. It's also not about the likelihood that these guys move in a vacuum, right? Like the tier that we're putting these guys in at the Athletic, and this piece will run tomorrow, is the same tier that we're putting Jonathan LeCaramacchi and, and Tom Volander in, mm. right? So it's not about... Like, these guys are on the block. They're itching to sell them. It's that if, like, to pick a name that's been out there in the ether link to the Canucks, right? We know the Canucks want a top six forward, right? Friedman listed Gensel, mm -hmm. Lindholm, Henrik. We'll get back into this because, like, the rental market, I'm... Mm -hmm. The more I think about it, the lower I am on, on the possibility. But, we'll, so we'll get back into that. Let's bookmark that for a later segment, but... In addition to those names, we've also heard names like Chris Tanev linked to the Canucks. Well... If you're adding multiple big pieces, you've got to subtract from somewhere. Yeah, and pro and beyond just Andre Kuzmenko. And, and and as the deals get bigger, right, the options you have to consider expand. And that's sort of why we ended up putting these three guys who we totally don't expect to move in sort of a, a slightly different tier just because if this team mm -hmm. is as aggressive as they could be, in seeking to upgrade this roster, there's no real way to do it without also subtracting something. And let's just use the Tanev name as a as a hypothetical, right? So let's say you were going to move out Sidorov to try to bring in Chris Tanev. Well, another part of this is, of course, bow for pending UFAs. We have heard from Rick Dollywall that the Zadorov camp wants a lot of term, that it might be a difficult uh, extension to do between the Canucks and Zadorov because of the term. Well, if you think that you have a much better chance of re-signing Tanev or that you are going to like Tanev's next contract a lot more than you like Zadorov's, that's another reason why it makes sense, right? Maybe you think he's a better fit because he's a right shot anyways, and you're managing the risk of uh, Zadorov being a potential UFA a little bit as well. That's a big factor here, the fact that there is uncertainty for Zadorov beyond this season. And, and last thing, you know, it wouldn't be outside the realm of what we should reasonably expect to see a Jim Rutherford team acquire a guy in November and trade him in February. Mm. Like, that happened to Tanner Pearson. Yep. the In the, the trade that brought him ultimately to Vancouver, right? Like, we, we have seen these. <laughs> we have seen Rutherford be aggressive to the level of renting a guy in season uh -huh. and trading him before the deadline. Now, I think the difference there is that Tanner Pearson wasn't working out in Pittsburgh, whereas I think you would say Zadorov has worked out in Vancouver. Absolutely. The coaches are very happy with him. Well, but still, I think it's... Except his minutes are right. ticked down. You're right. But I still think it speaks, you're right, overall to a willingness to be creative and aggressive from Jim Rutherford. Yeah. Which I, is huge. I mean, put it this way. Put it this way. Next season. For next season. Or for a key third period shift. You can pick one lefty to send out. Susie or Zadorov. Healthy Susie or Zadorov. I think you're sending Susie out. Yeah. That's so, you know, he's worked out, but like they also, uh, Cole or Zadorov? Probably Ian Cole. That's, it's close. It's, it's close. It's I mean, really close. They're really not, good. It's not like a massive gulf between Zadorov and Cole in either direction. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's just, uh, you're right. It's become an area of surplus to monitor. Right. And, you know, the Myers expiring thing, the history, 
the recent history, even with mm-hmm. Garland and Myers, for me anyway, that just like puts them in a slightly different tier, not saying that I expect anything, just that we have to be aware of this team's need to subtract if they're going to be as aggressive as, you know, uh, like Friedman and, and a variety of insiders keep captioning them as sort of tacking toward. Yeah. Uh, no lineup notes, obviously. No lineup notes this week for the broadsheet, or, or for the whiteboard, I should say. Playoff forecast, Canucks with a 59% chance to win the Pacific. That's the highest it's been all season for the Canucks. Edmonton, with a 16-game win streak, still at a 33% chance to win it. So you add the Canucks, 59%, let's call it 60 uh, to win the division, 30% chance to finish second. That equals basically a 90% chance to have home ice advantage in the first round, which is a huge deal for the Canucks. They're also now projected by the model to finish with 111 points, which puts them in a dead heat with the Winnipeg Jets for first place in the Western Conference. I believe one point behind the Bruins uh, for the President's Trophy. So right in the running for all of those. Okay. The... <laughs> um. The fun one, the fun bet that I want to track is books have started offering Edmonton Oilers streak-related specials. So the Oilers to end up on at least an 18-game win streak. So you're picking the Oilers to win Let's twice go. here after the uh, after the break. Now, their first game's against Vegas, Vegas. Yep. which is tough, but they'll be favored in it. The second one's against Anaheim. Amazing. So effectively... You're finding a way to take a, a, a sort of road favorite mm-hmm. and get plus money. It's plus 125. For them to get to 18. For them to get to 18 at this point. <laughs> Which is like, you know, a, a 45% yeah. chance. I mean, that's wild stuff in terms of where we've gone. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to note is for most of the season, we've talked about the Canucks being the favorites for the Adams, <laughs> the Norris, and the... Um, Excuse me, and the Vesna. Vesna. They're no uh, Hellebuck. Really has taken. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's actually into minus money now in in Vesna futures betting. He's been on a nine three nine run <laughs> since uh, like a nine forty save percentage run basically since early December. Demko is at like a nine three six. So uh, you know I'm not calling this one yet. In fact, if you like Demko to bounce back here. Uh, you can get him at plus 300, plus 350 in some places. He's still the clear second, yep. but this is very much emerged as a two-horse race with Hellebuck uh, sort of being in the lead uh, going into what? I guess the second to final turn, like the <laughs> the mid-turn here. Um, Hughes is in the negative money, by the way, in a lot of books, in a lot of places. That's incredible. To win the, um, to win the Norse, and you can even find some bets that have him at like plus 110, uh, but you're betting Hughes, and everyone else gets the field. Amazing. So, uh, some pretty, uh, some pretty interesting movement in my mind on the uh, on the futures markets Those involving like, Vancouver um, Canucks event, uh, awards winners. That's the whiteboard. Those are like prime Tiger Woods of the Masters odds, where it's like him even money against the field. That's basically where Quinn Hughes is against the Norris. Field. I mean, I mean, one thing you know. Once we've talked about Besser, I was just curious to look at it. The um, Quinn Hughes is 14 points shy of breaking his own record for scoring by a defenseman in a season. Like, he he could do that on this upcoming road trip. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's like by by the end of February kind of thing. And and, and by the way, I don't want to I don't want to ignore this this possibility. Not that I'm like expecting it. It's probably slightly outside, but and you know what, we should get at our friends at play now to price this out mm. so that we can talk about it with um 
with some with some like bookmaker precision. But going into the All Star break with twelve goals, okay, you've got what thirty three yep. games to play. Twenty three goals, Adrian Coin is the franchise record. Eleven and thirty three. I'll take the under, but it's a possibility. Uh, well, I mean, what do you think the price would be though? Like plus seven hundred, plus six hundred, six fifty? Maybe not quite that. Maybe like plus five hundred, something like that. Either way, it seems like a fun one. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll have to get at uh, Matt and Danny like and, uh, and price that out. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, up next, actually, before we go to break, uh, Coors, the iconic Coors Light Chill Train, is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made a stop in Vancouver, leaving behind Choo-choo! a trail of epic prizes. That's right. A On trail? February... On February 1st. And you will know us by our trail of epic prizes. On February 1st and 2nd, from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Robson Square for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game day chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. Learn more at CoorsLight.ca slash the chill train. Choo-choo! There you go. Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine up next here on Sportsnet 650.